when you say it's not, do you mean it's not like it's not a good story or it's not like it's not a happy story it's because it's a, a scary happy story? All right, well, that's what we're here for. That. That's what we're here for. Hi, everybody. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And I'm Christina. Hey. And And this this is Dead Time Stories. A weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together to talk about ghost stories, true crime, mysteries, cults, conspiracies, the supernatural, paranormal, or even just the generally weird, eerie, spooky, strange stuff that we want to talk about that week. Why is that, Sarah? Boo! Because it's our show, and it's not yours. Oh, boo. Did I scare you? You did. <laughs> hey. And the boo is also appropriate because it's good guest If you're new to the show, stop. Go back. Go back to the beginning. Start from the beginning. Episode one, grumble throw to my mouth a little bit. Get to know us a little bit. You know, come along. Warm us up. You know, you know, find Thanks. out about Go us. do that. Let's do that. Okay, go. Welcome, Welcome back. back. You know, and if you've been here, if you didn't have to go back because you've already been here, you Welcome to Guestoberfest. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome. And we have one of our favorite guests to have on the show. We are three weeks in. We are halfway there. Mm-hmm. And we've brought back, <gasps> coming for that number one spot. Christina! Christina! Hi, guys. It's so excited to have you. Tell the people a little bit about Thank yourself. Thank you. Well, um, I'm This Christina. is my 97th time on the I show. I mean, they know you because they've listened <laughs> from the beginning. Right. This is my 13th time on the show. I thought it was my 12th. And Ooh, then I started listening to wow. the episodes that I've been in because I'm a narcissist a little bit. It's healthy narcissism. Yeah. Yeah. A little, it's a little, you know. But, you know, I want to know, like, where to aim for, because I always try to, like, bring a good show. A little bit, yeah. Because, like, it's not like I have to do it every week. It's like I get to do it every now and then. Oh, I love that So I really swing for the fences. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Yeah. We're excited because it brings us wonderful content. It does. We appreciate it. Before we uh, get into the episode, when is your night at Laurel Hill? It's on the 30th. It's on the 30th. So that'll be... This is the third week of Guestoberfest? Yes. So this is the 21st. So you're going to be doing that next Saturday. Next Saturday, Mm y'all. Next Saturday. Thank you for looking it up. You're very welcome. Next Saturday, one night only, Laurel Hill Cemetery. It's a walking tour. It's going to be fun, spooky. It's not jump out at you scary. So it is appropriate for all ages. Just maybe not little kids because they'll get bored. Mm -hmm. But you do a walking tour throughout the cemetery in the evening and you stop at specific tombs and there is an actor performing a monologue based upon the story of someone who is actually buried in the cemetery. Gotta love it. It's fun. It's historical. It's always a good time. Mm -hmm. I get to spend the whole evening in the cemetery Mm. and I get paid. So I'm not mad Mm. about it. It's my fourth year in a row. Very excited. I actually have a performance. Ooh, Ooh, tell us about it. I forgot. 
thought. Um, so I am currently a research and instruction librarian at Widener University. I guess I'm kind of blowing up my own spot. But on October 29th, we are doing Ghost Stories by the Campfire. So that's next oh. Friday. That is next Friday on the 29th. It will be around dusk on campus Ooh. at Widener. Oh, fun. So if you feel like going out to, you know... Delco, get some hot chocolate, hang out by a fire and hear some spooky stories. I'm going to be performing at least three stories. And one of them you guys will have already heard. Ooh. Are you going to tell us which one? Zach's. Ooh, yes. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, the girl in the car. That's that's one of my favorites, honestly. Yeah, I just re-listened to it, and I was like, damn, that was good. It was good. It was good. good. (laughs) It was very good. Are you my Uber? Oh, my God. (laughs) Ghostly Uber. Uh, This is why you have to start from the beginning. We were so much funnier back then. Oh, my God. My first episode will always be my best episode. I'm literally chasing the dragon. You peaked too early. I I did. Um, I also want to tell you where you can find me. Yes, please. Which is that um, I'm still keeping it real at the speakeasy as Judy Mae Best as part of Halloween nights at Eastern State Penitentiary. That is tonight, the 21st. I will be there tonight, tomorrow night, Saturday, and Sunday. I will also be there next week, Tuesday, not Wednesday, but Thursday through Sunday. And then the following Friday and Saturday, the next week and the week after that are the last two chances to see it. So those two weeks in November... Those two weeks in November, those two weekends, it will only be on Friday and Saturday. So those are your last chances to catch it. And hopefully by this point, because we're recording a little (laughs) bit ahead of time, hopefully I am still in the competition of Snatcherella 3000. You are. At Frankie Bradley's under the alter ego of Polly Wanda Cracker. You can buy tickets for that online at FrankieBradley's.com. The doors are at eight. The show is at nine. Please come support some amazing queer artists in Philadelphia and queer nightlife performers. It's really, really cool. Should I bring yes. my mom? Oh, my God. I would love for you to bring your mom. Should I bring my mom? It She's, gets weird. I'll tell you. It precious. gets weird. But I, would I mean, love how naked do people get? Um, like well, fully naked. So the third week is Dirty Disney. <gasps> oh, that's that's when I'm going. Um, what that week is, is that? I believe that is i'm trying to get back to my regular like monthly calendar i apologize that is this coming wednesday the 27th is dirty Disney. my mom will be here and we were told that our performances have to be at least pg-13 rated oh at least pg-13 yeah it could be they could get naked is what i'm saying okay but I don't think so because of the venue that we're in. Like, wait, wait, it'll wait, be like it has Merkins to be at least at least PG thirteen. I love so it. So it has to be rated PG thirteen or above. Mama will stay home with the pets. That's and gonna I'll be go. yeah. Dirty I don't know about night. y'all, but I'm marking my calendar. Yeah, absolutely. I will see you there. That's Sounds like a date Wednesday night. Sounds at like I'll see ya. at Frankie Bradley's. Please come see it. It's gonna be a good time. And at the door, when they ask you who you're there to see, who are you there to see? Polly Wanda Cracker. That's right. Thanks, y'all. Um, I'm trying to think of what to call my fans, um, but I'm thinking the Pollywogs with two L's. Cute. Pollywog with two L's. Like, hey, Pollywogs. Much That's better cute. than the Crackers. I thought about calling them the Crackers, right? Yeah. But I was like, I don't want to call them the Crackers. I thought about calling them the Triscuits. Like, hey, Triscuits. I kind of like Wanda that. Cracker. That's cute, too. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of between Triscuits and Pollywogs, but I'm still thinking about it. 
Hey, polywogs. Isn't that like a D&D thing? No, a polywog is a tadpole. Oh, that's right. That's right. I know yeah. that. But um, polywog with two L's because polywog is spelled with one L. Mm-hmm. But, but the polywogs, you know, that'd be two L's. Anyway, <laughs> I'm so excited to be performing. And yeah, thanks Yay. for supporting our, our podcast. Come support our live performances as well now that that's happening again. Please be vaccinated. Mm. Yes. If you come to all of our shows, all of them, all three of them, bam, 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 like, I'll buy you a drink. I was thinking that you were about to offer a sexual favor to someone. No. Wow. Sorry. This episode got PG-13 but it, but it real fast. that nobody was going to come to all three. Well, I mean, it would be like going to yours on the 27th, yeah. going to Eastern State on the 28th, Going to mine on the 29th, uh, going to Sarah's. Is, hers is at, um, on oh, the you're 30th. talking about 27th at Frankie Bradley's. Yeah. 28th, 28th at Eastern State Penitentiary. 29th, 29th at Widener. 30th, 30th at, at Laurel Hill, Hill Cemetery. Exactly. It's four a whole solid days. fucking week of performances. Are you going to come to all four? Are you our real number one fan? Because right? Christine is offering sexual favors. No! <laughs> Wait, no, that's what I understood. I know. I I said Mm. I will buy you a drink. I don't know. But but then you winked and you licked your lips. So (laughs) So that's what I thought you meant. And then now you're laughing, but you're tweaking your nipples. So I just feel like you're getting off on this. Right now. I'm so confused. (laughs) I deserve this. I've re-listened to my episodes. I know how terrible I was to you guys on the first one. I was literally just trying to say anything to, like, break how nervous I was. <laughs> it's like how mean you were when we had Adol Refai here. Oh, and my I was God. Like, it immediately went X-rated. <sighs> yeah. I loved it. Yeah. All right, everybody. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Stephanie. Hey, hey Christina. Christina. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Leslie. Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Christina, what are you talking about this Oh, yes. Tell me. Ooh, okay. So trigger warning. I was going to say, I know, it, I know it's fucked up because we were like, oh, so we're going to talk. We're going to do our episode. And you were like, yeah. It's yeah, bad. You sounded bad. sad to do your Uh-oh. own episode. It's really sad. Yeah. Oh, I've been geez. listening. Like, okay, we'll get into it. But right, trigger so con- warning. Yeah, content warning, trigger warning. This is about domestic abuse. Okay. In many different flavors going to the extreme. Okay. Putting that out there. So we're going to be talking about the disappearance of Susan Cox Powell. It is another missing white lady. Of course. Of course. But there's really no, like, hope, I guess. That sounds so sad. Of ever finding her. Like, she's gone. And so her family and the people who share her story share her story for the purpose of, like, highlighting all of these different kinds of domestic abuse so that people can recognize them and get the fuck out before they go this far. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So this is going to get really dark. But the last time Susan was seen was December 6th of 2009. And what she was doing was she was untangling some knotted yarn with a fellow Mormon. So Susan always with the Mormons. Yeah, it's not. okay. so I don't think that Mormonism in itself like leads to terrible things, but I think that it opens people up for this kind of spousal abuse. I use the example of 
not all cops beat their wives, mm-hmm. but like 90% of domestic abuse mm-hmm. involves someone in law enforcement. I was going to say 40% of law enforcement have self-reported been domestic abusers. That just means 40%. And my stats might be wrong, but like. Have it, that have just means 40% it. have admitted to us. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So like. Yes, exactly. So hashtag not all Mormons. Well, but if you think that your (laughs) eternal life is tied to a single person that you met when you were 18 years old and like there's no hope of ever being away from that person or being out of your situation. Because you've been sealed together in the church and when you die, you're going to go be planets together. Your eternal soul is tied to this human being. Yes. And that's for good or for bad, right? So it's like, what does it matter what you do? You're going to be tied to them anyway. Right. So it just opens people up to all kinds of abuse. And they let things go on. And they make allowances. And they make forgiveness. It's awful. So her friend, who is also a Mormon, who was just self-described as good with knots, which I love that. It's so Mormon. It's so sweet. Um, She just like is good with untangling knots so she was over uh susan's husband josh was cooking dinner for everyone for the two women and the couple's two young sons who were two and four at the time and after dinner susan said that she didn't feel well and so she went upstairs to go to bed and josh basically like heavily implied that the woman should leave because he was busy with other things Mm -hmm. and so she took the yarn with her and left and that is the last time anyone ever saw susan wow what all right so when did her husband kill her and where do we think he put her so what we do know is that that night After midnight, Josh loaded his two boys, two and four, ages two and four again, into his minivan and drove into the Utah desert before a blizzard. They were expecting literally feet of snow in the Utah desert. And he's taking his toddlers into the middle of it in a fucking minivan. Did people saw him or he told people he was going to take them, what, camping? Oh, well, the next day when the boys didn't show up to daycare, the like daycare owner, she, you know, sat for kids in her house, basically. Uh, she got really concerned because Susan always told her when the boys weren't going to show up. She always told her like if they were going to be late or their schedules were changing and no one said anything. And so she reached out to Susan and Josh, and no one was answering their phones. She reached out to Josh's family. Josh's older sister and mom also lived in Utah. And they all met over at the Powell house, and it was obviously empty. Like, there was no life in the house at all. So by 9 a.m., they had called the police, and the police had arrived and broken into the house to find that it was absolutely empty. But Susan's wallet and purse and keys were still there. Never a good sign. Mm -mm. And there were two box fans directed at a recently cleaned couch and carpet area in the living room. And there was no sign of anyone. Yeah. So this was 9 a.m. They finally get Josh on the phone at 3 p.m. And he is saying that he got mixed up with his days and thought that they were leaving on a Saturday and that that Monday was a Sunday when he was driving the boys back home. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
And he admits that they left after midnight. He admits that they drove into the desert. Without their mom. Without their mom, that she stayed behind. And he thought that the next day was Sunday. So he didn't tell the people at his work that he wasn't going to show up. And he didn't worry about. He he was coming back on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, because he was coming back on Sunday, the next day, which was actually a Monday. Likely story, bruh. Right. So... He takes two more hours, multiple phone calls from multiple people, including the police, telling him he needs to show up at home now. And he doesn't get there until five o'clock that afternoon. Wow. Susan had been missing for eight hours. She had been reported missing at 9 a.m. And he shows up at five with his two sons saying that Susan was supposed to be at work and that he just didn't know where she was. So, um, let me catch up to my notes. Damn. Sorry, I've been studying this for so long, like, I kind of lost my place. But I wanted to make sure that I get, like, the main points. He was more upset that the window of his house was broken for the police to get in than he was that his wife was missing. Literally more upset on body cam footage. There's so much footage of everything in this case. Mm -hmm. Wow. So the local police bring Josh in for questioning, obviously. And he insists on bringing his two sons into the questioning. So I've actually heard recordings of this interview. It's really weird. Like, Josh just is non-responsive for a large part of it. He just says, I don't know. And then he, like, gets wrapped up in whatever the kids are doing or gets, Mm -hmm. like, wrapped up in the kids whatever they're doing and so everything though every question I don't know I don't know I don't know like he doesn't expand upon anything he just doesn't know doesn't know anything and he makes these little (laughs) sniff sounds what whenever new people come into the room and he's like telling them about his 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 story with his wife oh it's like him feigning crying yes and then as he, like, continues speaking with people, that just goes away. But it's like he works himself up for each new person to see, like, how much they're going to buy his shit, essentially. Yeah. Like, that's such a classic trait of narcissism. This guy's an obvious narcissist. We're going to get into it. But part of it is, like, needing to read people all the time. Yes. Needing to know how people feel about you all the time. Because you have to make sure that they understand your side. Yeah. You know? It's like, bleh. It's so fucking toxic. So... The boys are obviously distracting him. So they're like, okay, you're going to have to come back. Like, you're going to have to come back tomorrow. You need to get a babysitter or something for the boys. Like, figure that out because we need to have a conversation. We need to talk. Yeah. Yeah. So he sticks with his story about not knowing what day it was and all of this sort of stuff. And whenever he comes in for the second interview, they actually talk to his sister, Jennifer, and she brings in the boys to be interviewed by a counselor. So, like, they had a long conversation, but nothing was really able to be used because the boys were two and four. So the two-year-old really didn't say much of anything, and the four-year-old, like, babbled a lot, but a lot of it was kind of incoherent. Like, Mm -hmm. he said that they left their mom where the pretty rocks were. And they are in Utah, so there's a lot of, like, gemstones and stuff like that around. Yeah. But, like, he also said that they flew there in an airplane. You know, like, he just 
he's four. Yeah. He's fucking four, you know? And he could have potentially seen his dead mother shoved into the trunk of their car and ditched in the middle of the Utah desert. So, like, he's probably not able to communicate all of that at four. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. But it was really an open secret that Josh and Susan's marriage was bad. Yeah. The first time that she met their babysitter, the person who owned their um, daycare center or whatever, she told her, like, I'm planning on divorcing Josh and I might need to do different hours because I'll need you to, like, cover when I'm at work the full time. And she's like, yeah, whatever you need, it's fine. The very first time that she met her. Right. And the boys were there for like a year or so. (laughs) Um, And so she did other things. She told her coworkers. She even wrote a journal at work on like lined paper. She wrote out her own will and she sealed it in an envelope that was another piece of paper that she like stapled together and wrote on it. Never let this get into the hands of Josh Powell and left it in her desk. Whoa. She told her coworkers that she was scared of him, that he made threats to her, that he was very manipulative and controlling, but she didn't tell exactly what was going on. So Josh was a narcissist and he was extremely abusive to Susan in a bunch of different ways that aren't necessarily illegal. So one of the ways was that whenever they met, Josh was very into Mormonism like his mom was as well he started going back to the Mormon church he was like 26 she was 18 and they met at a they met at a Mormon singles event of course because essentially he was looking for a wife like that's what he was looking for and he found her and he was like yeah sure she'll do like We'll get into some different parts of his narcissism, but you actually have a bunch of recordings of him and you have audio recordings of him talking about Susan and it's so depressing because it's in real time. It's when he was actually meeting her and dating her and all this sort of stuff and he's never like, oh my God, I'm just obsessed with her. I just love her so much. Like she's amazing. He's like, she helps me clean when she comes over and I really like that. I think that'll be good for our kids like a business transaction absolutely it was what can she do for him right yeah so all of that mormonism stuff as their marriage went on went away and then he started to berate her and the children anytime that they talked about mormonism anytime that they talked about their religion at all he would just like make fun of them call them stupid for believing like all of this sort of manipulative behavior that's religious abuse is whenever you use someone's faith or belief against them to say that because they have it they're some sort of lesser person yeah All of the money that came into the house was pretty much made by Susan. So Josh would try these new careers and these new ventures like every other year almost. And they never pan out. And he fucked his credit. He fucked it. He filed for bankruptcy. Oh my God. (laughs) Like he would have been better off joining LuLaRoe because what he ended up doing was just like buying every single thing he ever wanted whatever it took no matter if it was on credit no matter if it was like bought with cash no matter but for susan who was earning all of the income if she spent pennies 
too much on groceries, he would lock her out of her own bank account where her checks were being automatically deposited. He would change the pin code on her because she didn't use the coupon that he gave her for the groceries. That was 20 20 cents off a can. And how dare she? I hate this. So this is financial abuse. Anytime someone says, oh, we really need to like budget what we're spending, but then they never have a budget. They can always afford to get whatever toy or new thing that they want. But for you, with the shared money, you have to be very cautious and careful because this is not just yours. It's ours. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's financial abuse. And he had even started taking out credit cards in her name oh. because he got her to sign a power of attorney over to him. No! What? Mind you, she was telling people, she was telling people, I'm leaving him. She recorded their assets so that she could document all of the things that they owned for their divorce. She was talking to attorneys. And then she would talk to Josh, and he would say, well, okay, I'll go to church once a month if you stay home from church once a month. But baby, and I love you so much. Yeah, baby, I do love it for you. the kids. You know, we got to do this for the kids and all this sort of shit. And he would he would keep her. She would be like so close to the door. Ugh. And then he would just reel her back in, reel her back in. <sighs> and so he had recently gotten a um a Home Depot credit card in her name, and he had already maxed it out buying the highest top-of-the-line tools. He bought a welder for some reason. Classy. Like, he was literally, like, covered in technology. They had multiple computers, multiple hard drives. Like, it was just insane how much shit he had. And then not even enough money for food to feed the kids had to get money from the latter-day saints church for food for the children oh my god and then she had to go over to neighbors houses and beg for food because she didn't want her children to go hungry she would go without food she would go okay so they bought like a whole bunch of chili right like canned chili like they bought a palette of canned chili because it was a really good deal and she was bringing it to work to eat every single day and one of her co-workers had like a cup of noodles and her co-worker was like I remember one day she took my cup of noodles out of my desk and left her can of chili and with a little note saying I just need to change today And she was like, so every now and then she would trade one of her cans for one of my cups. And she was like, and I ended up like getting the better deal out of it. Like the cup of noodles are cheaper, but that's what she wanted. She just wanted something different. different. Because like she literally had to eat an entire pallet of chili. They had a whole bunch of wheat for some reason. They just had like, like big bins of wheat in their house and it didn't make sense but she started gardening so she started actually producing a lot of food in her garden and saving them a lot of money and then whenever she would try to give the food away josh would make her charge for it oh he's such a piece of garbage i hate him like he's so manipulative in every single way and his big thing his big narcissism thing was withholding and another way that he did that was with his love he was never passionate about her like we already talked a little bit about his audio journals like he was never passionate about her ever 
Um, he liked that she was clean. He liked that she had a car and he didn't have to drive all the time. Oh my like, God. What a freeloader. That he liked about her. Exactly. He don't want no scrubs. He liked the it's fact that awful. she would be like a mother and he mm-hmm. wouldn't have to do anything. Yes, exactly oh my that. God. It makes me want to throw up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the worst. He's the absolute worst. Um, he would withhold sex to punish her. And it was so frustrating to her because she was Mormon. So this was the only sexual like relationship she had, and she literally couldn't do anything. Yeah, and he would not have sex with her whenever he would want to like punish her for doing things. Oh my! That's how he would do it. He would just not have sex with her. And the other thing that he would do that literally like blows my mind is that he would assign her chores to do around the house. Even though she was working full time as a stock trader and he was unemployed. <laughs> I'm fucking. Ah! Uh. It makes me mad because I know that. Uh, I'm just like, I want him to be the one that goes missing, but I know right? that he's not. We already know. That we already not. know. This story does not have a happy I know, and I already hate it. Ending. Yeah. So let's talk about the journals. Three people in this story have journaled at least once in their life. And a lot of that has to do with Mormonism because the church actually, like, recommends that you journal. You can get out all your Satan So feelings. that you can ruminate about God and right. how great and for God is. Yes, exactly. So... Josh would have physical and audio, like, digital journals. So he would write things on, like, scraps of paper, like receipts, napkins, all this sort of stuff. And one of Susan's chores was to do his scanning. So she would scan his little scribbles onto a digital device, and then he would duplicate it on, like, CD and flash drive and hard drive and all this sort of stuff. He, he would like, just... what I have to say is important. Yes. He... Really? Yes. On the like... back of a receipt? Yes. I wrote it down because it's the piece of paper that I had at the time, but you need to make sure it gets up on the, like, where I actually keep the digital files so I won't lose it. Because all of my thoughts that I write down are very important. Yes. So Stephanie and I, I think we've talked about this maybe before. We were in a really silly, like, friend-made movie called The Brain Gobbler. Yeah, we talked about it because we talked about you pulling me down a flight of stairs. Yeah. Right. Um, Well, another thing that was like a central plot point in this movie and really made the movie work, but was so absolutely absurd and ridiculous that like it also made the movie terrible at the same time, was that the main character who was doing all of the negative things kept an audio journal. Yeah. Remember? And she would like, and she would sit in her car and talk to her audio journal and be like, I'm going to kill him. And it's just like, okay, all right. Right. I'm going to watch that bitch die. Right. Like, here's the exposition. The way no one does. The way no one does. <laughs> Except he did this. He recorded his own Except voice. Except Josh Powell. He recorded Powell his this. own voice for hours a day. Multiple tapes. Multiple tapes of his own voice. Reading aloud his Disney DVD collection. Stop. 
You're not serious. I am so serious. Did he go back and listen to these? Yes. And he was insanely boring. Like other people have listened to it and said it is just so tedious. Because most people when they journal, it's like efficiency. It's like this happened today. It was really important. I'll talk to you later. You know? Yeah. And he would not do that. He would narrate his entire life. He would uh, like just narrate all of these lists of things. And anytime that he did talk about like things that he was feeling and stuff like that it was very shallow like very very shallow like when he talked about his own wife he wasn't passionate about her at all and that was kind of the level that he gave everything like he just did not care wow and you might ask like Okay, so the police took multiple computers, multiple hard drives, USB drives, other electronics from Josh's. All of them were encrypted. They were taken in 2009. Some of those encryptions still exist today. People are still trying to crack the encryptions on some of his external hard drives. Oh, my God. And there's probably nothing of any value on there. Exactly. Exactly. So dumb. Yeah. But it's just that you don't know what's on there, so they keep at it. And so you might be asking, where did this need to record himself come from? Yes. His dad. His dad did it? Steve. So let's talk a little bit about Josh's family. I've already introduced his older sister, Jennifer. Mm -hmm. She's the one who met the daycare worker at the house whenever they thought that uh, the family might have, like, had a gas leak or something like that so she showed up and she is literally the only not piece of shit in this story she's literally the only person who wasn't a piece of shit so good for her um she was josh's older sister and she was still a practicing mormon she was good friends with susan and so when josh and susan left washington which was where they were when they were um when they met they met in uh the state of washington and they eventually left and they moved to utah where josh's sister was and that's kind of like where they planted their feet kind of she left her family really early in life and she is the only child to have gotten out of Steve's grasp okay because he is also a severe narcissistic abuser so everything in this family had to be about Steve all the time mm-hmm. and this is Josh's Josh's dad. dad so he abused his wife he would encourage his children to like verbally abuse her as well especially about her religion which again they started out as Mormon together and that was a big part of their relationship and then Steve was like I don't need that Mormon shit that's bullshit and his wife was like no I still believe it and we're gonna be together for eternity like can you imagine if your eternity was tied to this other person who doesn't believe what you believe so literally they're not getting a planet I guess so like your eternity is dead because of the person that you're uh, married yeah. to, you know? I don't know if you go back to your parents or if you, I don't know. It's weird, but like honestly, oh, it's so fucking sick. So Steve would abuse his wife. When they finally got divorced, he convinced all of his children except for Jennifer to go stay with him. And that's because earlier when Jennifer was a preteen, he took her on a trip. They stayed in a motel together and he watched pornography with her in the room and it made her very uncomfortable. And so she like hid herself while it was going on. And then afterwards, she basically got out of the house as soon as possible. Like Mm -hmm. she did not put up with any of that. Like she was just not here for it. Unfortunately, like I said, she is the only one who was able to get out. Wow. Um, Ugh. 
So Josh was the oldest boy. He had a younger brother named John and another younger brother named Michael. John was weird and John helped Josh with like some internet things. But Michael was actually the most intelligent of them. And there is a lot of evidence that Josh and Michael worked together a lot after Susan went missing. Then the youngest child is Elena. She was abused by all of them in a myriad of different ways. Um, She was made to, like, hold their dead pets. And, like, Mm. yeah, like, it was just all sorts of Mm. emotional abuse. The boys, it was suspected that the boys were sexually abused because they attacked multiple people. Josh himself reportedly attacked his mother with a knife before the divorce. So that would be before he was 12 years old. Like, there was a lot of shit going on. These kids were obviously fucked up, and nobody gave a fuck, and nobody did anything to help. So all four of the younger kids lived with their dad as adults, and they were mostly unemployed. Like, Elena, John, and Josh were perpetually unemployed, and Michael was in school. So he was in college. He was actually getting his PhD. Like I said, he was the only really intelligent one among them. Yeah. But he was making the most of it, because that's what, you know manipulative people do try to do yeah yeah so all of them lived with their dad as adults susan and josh lived with his dad as a married couple and their bedroom was the dining room yeah yeah okay we'll get a little bit more into that but after susan disappeared like days after she was reported missing josh moved to washington into his dad's house with his two sons he just left he just dipped. Gone. Bye, Utah. I'm headed to Washington. Because he has nothing left for him in Utah. Yeah. Yeah. But the investigation was still ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really did investigate the hell out of this. But there's just nothing they can do. They searched the desert. They got specialists to go in and search all of the mines that they could think of in Utah. And there are dozens of mines. And some of them are hidden. Some of them are unsafe. There are tar pits. Like, there's all sorts of shit out there. It's the desert. Um, There's a bunch of internet sleuths who have tried to help. The Cox family started, like, a Facebook group pretty quickly. And they started getting support from that. And then Josh and his family, his brother John, start their own rival website. That's the real story of Susan Cox. Yeah. And so they hypothesize anonymously that Susan ran away with another man and that her childhood diary showed that she was abused by her family and the LDS church. (laughs) Her childhood diaries... That Josh wrote, ghost written by Josh. <laughs> no, she actually did journal, but she journaled like a normal person. She journaled as a kid, mostly. Yeah. Like, she didn't have very many adult journals, but she did have a few emails and things that people have, like, dug through. The police put GPS locators on cars, they put wiretaps on phones, and they even sent in Jennifer wearing a wire to interrogate her brother and her family. Wow. And they got nothing. nothing. They got nothing. The case stalled until the police asked the Cox family to have a honkin' wave, which is like when you stand by the road with signs that say, like, look for this person, look for this person, at a local uh, shop where Josh went. Because uh, her family still lived in Washington, so when Josh moved back to Washington, he was actually moving closer to her family. And so they lived within miles of each other, and Josh got a restraining order because he said that they were trying to abuse his children. 
Oh. And so while they were being interviewed on the news for having this honking wave and bringing attention to their daughter's case, Steve shows up and he starts shouting about how he has her childhood diaries and how important they are and how they show the abuses of Mr. Cox and the LDS church. And he has all of it. And he's he knows that this is the truth. And MAGA. On TV. Well, I mean, this is like 2009. I know, but, you know, he would have. Well, that's the thing. Like, time fucking passes. Time passes. And she is just missing. Oh, no one. Gone, she's girl. not in any accounts. She's not on any camera. She's yeah. gone. She's gone. And so after Steve goes on the news talking about these diaries he has, the police get warrants for Steve's house. Nice. And that's when we find a little bit more about Steve. We find some shit. So the police knew that he was weird and that he had a history of becoming... That's the official police word. Mm, girl. I think it is weird. weird. Buckle up. He had a history of becoming sexually obsessed with women. His email signature that he sent the cops like a hypothesis that uh, Susan left with another man who also disappeared a few days later, like all this sort of stuff. Um, And in the signature, he had a link to music that he released under the alias of Steve Chantry. Over 60 of the songs were specifically about Susan. And she sang backup vocals for one of the songs. (gasps) Did she know that he was? Okay. No, I don't think so. Well, eventually, yes, she did. So um, whenever they served the warrant for Steve's house, they found exactly how obsessed with her and just strange he was. So automatically, right off the bat, there's voyeuristic photos everywhere. Like photos taken under a door while she's using the bathroom. Okay? Photos of Susan, photos of other people, Naked photos of women with Susan's face put on them. Oh, yes. okay. Like very disturbing shit. These were just the photos posted. Once they started going through the digital files, he had videos and he made videos of himself masturbating to the photos and videos that he had previously recorded. Ugh, I feel gross. I need to take a shower. <sighs> All right. Um... So then there were his physical collections. So they didn't really get into the digital ones until a little bit later. But he also collected tampons and pads that had been used and left in the garbage. He had them in Ziploc bags in his bedroom. And they were over years old Mm -hmm. because she hadn't lived there in years. Yeah. And when was all this discovered? Whenever the police served the warrant a year after she had been missing. Which was in 2009? 10, yeah. Yeah. This was like 2010-ish. Close to 2011. Um, So, I'm sorry, girl. I know, it's real gross. Just imagining the smell. No, I don't want to. So I refuse. No. Wallow in this with me. Be in this. We do this show together. I'm trying to stay Because the house was filthy. They were all hoarders in some way, shape, or form. So three of his adult children were living there with him and the two children, the two-year-old and the four-year-old, who were like three and five by now. So whenever they started seeing what Steve actually had in his home, they took the children into protective custody and they arrested Steve. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They found 
video that he had taken of his neighbor's bathroom from his bedroom of their two young girls using the bathroom and taking showers and things like that. So like eight and ten, I think they were. And that was what sent him away. So he went away on um, child endangerment. He actually lost a million dollar civil suit to the family. So he could never make money again off of anything without it going to those those kids that he abused but yeah so they had lived there like three years before and he still had the materials that he had filmed of them yeah and he would just film everything he would he would just do a journal on video like that's what he would do but he wasn't like posting it to youtube or anything he was just saving it because he thought that the future generations would want to know what he was thinking this is what happens when you don't have a job and you have too much time on your hands yeah um, honestly, yeah. And you're, and you're a pedophile. Man. You're a pedophile as this white man. But the file that they found that was the most important to this case was a video file where Steve did not know that the camera was still on. So he had filmed himself and he was like, I'm going to tell Susan how I feel about her. This is going to be the moment. And then he takes the camera and they think he thought he shut it off, but he basically put it lens down. So you can hear everything that happens. And I've listened to the audio and it's awful. But he does. He tells Susan, he's like, look, listen, I know you're into me. I know you're obsessed with me and I want you to leave with me now. And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he's like, but one day you told me to feel your legs because you just waxed them and you want me to see how smooth they were and she's like you're my father-in-law like I never led you on I don't want to be with you I don't have feelings for you like this is inappropriate and he's like no I know you're lying I know you're lying and I know that you love me and that's okay because you'll see that Josh is a jerk and you'll come to me in the end and she's Uh. just like I really don't think this is appropriate and so shortly after that, that's whenever she and Josh were living in his yeah, dining room. Yeah, she's like, we got to move. Shortly after that, they moved to Utah with Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Steve, as I said, got arrested. When Steve got arrested, the kids got put into protective custody. Thank God. Eventually, the kids did go back to her parents. And whenever they got there, they could tell that the kids had been coached. They could tell because the kids would be like, are we going to get abused now? Literally. They showed up and were like, are we going to get abused now? Is this where that happens? Uh, And their grandparents are like, no, no. And they see a picture of their mom and they just like start crying because they're so happy to see her. mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, my God. The kids had completely gone feral. They found out that they didn't actually feed the kids. They would just the adults would eat and whatever scraps were left over. That's what the kids could have. Stop. So the kids were like they wouldn't ask for. For anything they would reach for food they would hoard food and, and because, Josh thought this was okay mm-hmm. it's how he was raised oh my god because this kind of narcissistic abuse is hereditary this is how because it's like that was good enough for me 
it's good enough for my kid because they see their children as an extension of themselves. So if their kid's not necessarily doing something good or bad, they don't really exist. And there were people in a gym club with uh, Josh while he was being investigated and everything. And he would bring the kids to this gym society where they were like tumbling crystals and all this sort of stuff. And they had to make special rules because the kids kept using the machinery when they shouldn't be. And he would literally just ignore them crying, having a tantrum, almost getting hurt. Like it did not matter unless they started talking to someone else. And anytime they ever said one word to anyone else, Josh was right there. Yeah. And the thing is, all of the adults that talk about the kids, like their kindergarten teacher, like all of these adults are like, we loved the kids. We love the kids. They were really energetic and they weren't well behaved, but we loved them. They were so smart. And a lot of the things that they say about the oldest child being like so intelligent and so interested in specific things and not very emotional and he wouldn't interact with other students. And another student, a new student, tried to sit with him and he yelled at the student to get away from him because the student was Mormon. He would tell people that, like, Mormons should be murdered. Like, all of this sort of stuff that his dad and grandfather were coaching him to say. So, I see a lot of it as him becoming a narcissist himself. Mm-hmm. And... It's really sad because he was very good, even at like four and five, at manipulating people to take care of him. Yeah. Because like that's what he had to do essentially to was get taken care to of. get taken care of. He had to manipulate people into caring for him. So he would be very charming. He was very intelligent, very smart for a kid of his age, like really advanced, which is another sign of being a sociopath. Just saying. But at the same time, he did get caught trying to drown his brother at his grandfather's house. Oh, my God. Cool, cool, cool. Tight, tight, tight. So the kids couldn't sleep. Like, the kids couldn't take baths together anymore because they came in and one of them was trying to drown the other. Ugh. The boys said that they slept nude with their father in the same bed and they didn't sleep in pajamas anymore. So the parent, the grandparents had to, like, train them to put on pajamas and that they don't sleep in the nude. Like... They, they put on underwear and they wear, like, pajamas. That's how you go to bed. Like, all of this just really disturbing shit. And so, somehow, Josh gets visitation. And over a period of time, the visitation was supposed to start in a public place, and it did. And then the other people having visitation in the same public place got upset because they didn't want a murderer near their visitation. So in the meantime, Josh had turned on his Mormon switch to help get packed and to help unpack in Washington. He had the Mormons come and help him pack up and help him unpack. And he went to church for like a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And then he just stopped and immediately told his boys that Mormons were abusive and that they were devils and that they all needed to be murdered. Only thing they're good for is helping you move. Right. Anything for Josh. It's like, what do you do for me? Every time. And so he did make friends with a Christian pastor who was not Mormon. And the pastor agreed to have visitation at his home for Josh and like the social worker and the two kids because he had to have supervised visitation. Yes. Um, And so that went on for a while. And then 
the investigations just got too heavy. They found child pornography on Josh's computer as well, but the Utah police couldn't actually release it because they had this whole like secrecy thing around the case so that Josh wouldn't figure out where they were searching for her body and go hide it. So they could only release the information that they found, uh, incest cartoon pornography on one of Josh's computers if he stood a risk of getting access to the children again. So the issue came up. He was still trying to get custody of his boys. And finally, the police reported to the judge that that existed. And the judge was like, absolutely not. No, no. The custody goes to the grandparents. You stay with your supervised visitations. Yeah. Yeah. Why did they keep him with the supervised visitations? Yeah, I'm like, they're like, no, you don't, they don't, you don't get to have them live with you. But, you know, you get your supervised visitations. Be glad you get that. And they said that he had to do a psychosexual interview. So uh, psychosexual testing is actually kind of barbaric when you think about it. But it is a lie detector test with an extra sensor that goes on a man's penis. Yeah. And it can judge whenever you become aroused. And so they show you a bunch of different sexual material and see what turns you on. Mm -hmm. And so they ordered that Josh had to get the psychosexual testing done. And like he needed it very quickly for the judge to like make their ruling. But the judge wasn't allowed to tell any of this to the social workers. So Josh's pastor friend by this time was just like, look, you can't do this at my house anymore. And Josh had moved out and gotten his own place away from his dad, which was one of the rules that he had to do to have the visitation. And so they decided to start taking him to that house. And actually, after the decision was made that they were staying with their grandparents, the very next Sunday was his visitation. And so the social worker, who was a contractor, brought the boys to Josh's new house. And this is in Washington State. And um, it's very swampy, kind of like where I grew up. It's very swampy. Um, So it's kind of difficult to get around if you don't know exactly where the roads are, if that makes sense. Because you're surrounded by a lot of undrivable land. So the social worker shows up with the two kids. And Josh is at the door. And he opens it for them. And the kids, like always, ran forward and ran into the house. And before the social worker was able to get in, Josh slammed the door in her face and left she heard him tell the boys that he had a surprise for them and then she smelled gasoline and called 911 so she calls 911 and she's like look I'm at a supervised visit and this guy he took his kids and I'm having to move my car because I smell gasoline and I don't want my car to catch on fire so you need to send someone now and the police operator is like what was his name And she's like, Josh Powell, you need to send him now. He is being investigated for murdering their mother. You need to send someone now. And he's like, well, we have to have our deputies go to life-threatening situations first. What is this? And she says, this is life-threatening. Like, listening to this audio is so frustrating. It's so ACAB. Like, it's so all cops are bad. It's like he was so stuck in the monotony of her call and her being a hysterical woman that he didn't actually listen to what she was saying. Uh. And that was when the house exploded. 
So Josh had beaten both boys with a hatchet. And then they died of smoke inhalation when he blew up their house. The fire trucks were not able to get to the location for 10, 20 minutes because they couldn't find the access roads that would take them to the house. So it completely burned. And that poor social worker was literally just standing there watching it happen. She couldn't do anything. This was the part that I was listening to whenever I told you, like, that I had been crying from a podcast. Um, There's a podcast called Cold. It's an Amazon-exclusive podcast. And the first season is all about Susan Cox Powell. It is 28 episodes long. Jesus Christ. That's a deep dive. Yeah, it's a really deep dive. This guy studied her for years, has dug through all of the digital files that he can get his hands on. Like, he's been in insane about like just so into it because of how the system like Mm -hmm. failed this woman and her poor children exactly exactly absolutely so before susan went missing and one of the reasons that josh had to get power of attorney was that he took out millions of dollars of life insurance of course he did of course And he kept fiddling with who was going to get what money. Mm -hmm. Like, he kept fiddling with the will and fiddling with the trust that they had designed. And, like, who was going to get this, like, $1.5 million from Susan's life insurance. The good news is it went to her family, for the most part. Everyone in Josh's family fought for it. Like, literally everyone. Honest to God, that is disgusting. Yeah. they did. Yeah. Um, So they were tied up in litigation for a long time with that. The Cox family also tried to sue the Department of Health and Human Services and the social workers specifically. Um, And that is still in courts up to where I listened because I wasn't able to listen to the whole thing. But um, I listened to all the main episodes. I didn't listen to all the bonus content because there are like nine bonus episodes update yeah i'm just like i can't do that right now but the episode that i was listening to when i told you i had been crying it's the episode where everyone describes where they were when they heard that josh had killed the boys Mm. and that was really tough to listen to really hard to listen to because each of them had the full experience of these kids are gone. Like, yeah, yeah. I just saw them. Um, the Cox family, of course, was devastated because it never should have happened in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, people had said he is going to kill them. Yeah, like literally, there was boys. footage of people saying he will hurt those boys. I think he's going to hurt those boys. Yeah, and some of it is even Steve's own diaries, Steve's own journals, are saying the very first few days after it happened, he's like, "Josh did this," and then after that, he made every excuse in the book to say that Josh was innocent. But for the first few days, he knew it. Yeah. yeah, for the first he few days, knew he knew it. But he was so obsessed with Susan, he really wanted her to be alive. Like, that was the real thing. Like, he was Oof. completely obsessed with her. It was really disgusting. Um, he's dead now. That's the silver lining. The only silver lining is that Steve Powell's dead. His youngest son, Michael, the one who was getting his PhD, was suspected of helping Josh hide the body and jumped off of a parking garage. Yeah. 
His sister, Elena, I believe, is still alive. Um, she's still saying that all of this is Susan's fault, that Ugh. she was poor, that she was a temptress. Oh, my God. Yeah, and that she abandoned her family. She gone die on that hill, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there's a documentary. It's easier to do that than for her to admit that her entire fucking bloodline is, is garbage. Disgusting, yeah. Well, there's a documentary on Amazon Prime that you could pay for that I didn't pay for because fuck it. Um, I was already listening to... 18 hours of podcast yeah. I figured I could skip a two-hour documentary and someone's review said that the only thing that it really added from the podcast was that it interviewed Elena and that her entire perspective was that Josh was innocent oh gross how yeah so again not a great story but not a happy story right but if you Ooh. recognize any of these manipulations in your lives or the lives of people that you love, trust your instincts and try to leave if possible. Like, yes. please. Because it may seem like a little thing, like who controls the checkbook, but it can literally go as far as this. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. We're in spooky season. Are we you are. spooked? You're hopefully at least uneasy because I am. Sorry. I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. But well, aren't man. you glad nobody's saving your tampons? I'm uh, I'm really glad about that. Now you just have me wondering if somebody is saving my tampons. You don't make me glad that nobody is. I'm like, what if somebody is and Get I Get a menstrual know? cup. Well, TB Super H, um, you know, I just spot. Uh, well, I'm yeah, because you do that. I'm on the IUD, so I don't really have anything that collects a lot of fluid yeah. i want to thank you so much for coming yeah, on, on the that podcast note today. thank you so Thanks. much i love Christina. you guys thanks for having me you have so many opportunities to see us performing this coming week you should see me at frankie bradley's on wednesday and then me again at eastern state <laughs> yes on, on thursday, thursday. And, then and then christina, christina at widener on, on friday. friday and sarah at Laurel, Laurel Hill, Hill Cemetery. Cemetery on Saturday. And if you do, I'll buy you a drink. And if you do, she'll buy you she'll a drink. She'll give you sexual favors. No, no. Sarah. Oh, no. She said I it. I didn't give you enough shit for covering Gabby Petito. I do the YouTubes. I She's do She's not a YouTube case. She was. It's all over the internet. So TikTok, Reddit case. That's what myself and YouTube is. Send us an email at deadtimestories <laughs> with a Z at gmail.com. Go to our website, deadtimestories with a Z.com. Buy some merch. Buy some merch. And, you know, give us a five-star review on all of the podcast apps. Mm-hmm. That's it. Thank you That's guys you so much. Do. There's only one more episode. So check us out next week. We'll Thank be you here. so much for listening. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And I'm Christina. And this has been A Dead Time Stories. Thanks for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. Bummer, right? <laughs>